Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Thursday. It is August 31st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Bob, it is officially a game day today in college football. Week one of college football gets started. I know it's not, uh, you know, the Florida-Utah matchup that was pegged to be uh, pretty exciting has maybe lost a little bit of luster here to start the season, but still, we have games that count. That would be true. There are games that count, so uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't know how much they actually count the big picture, but they count. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Doug Haller of The Athletic, he is set to join us around 10.15 today to chat ASU football. We'll have some time to get into some Cardinals football as well uh, as ASU gets their season, the Kenny Dillingham era, underway today as they host Southern Utah 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. But as we typically do, let's get things started with the poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question here i know this is a uh poll question that you were uh chomping at the bit to kind of f- figure out how to frame and phrase correct and <laughs> for weeks <laughs> yeah so you, you've got it up there now which local team is more likely to win more than four and a half uh wins this season asu or the arizona cardinals and the masses are on asu side of things at 85 percent of the vote Cardinals sitting at 15%. Yeah, I kind of got a little bit lucky here because there were a few sports books that uh, docked the ASU win total from five to four and a half after the uh, Sunday announcement of the bowl ban. And then the Cardinals, I maybe fudged a little bit here, but the consensus is still four and a half, but there are plenty of fours out there if you really want to find a a four. If you want to bet the Cardinals over, there are some fours, uh, you know, more than a couple in America and worldwide that you can bet over four wins for the Cardinals. Uh, I've been on this gig for having this job for 22 seasons now. Uh, I think it's you know, 100% accurate to say I've never been more pessimistic going into a season as, uh, as more, more than I am this year, these two teams. In fact, I'm not really sure at this point, the, these two teams are combined for more than four and a half wins. We'll dive into that answering our question or answering the question around 1130. Still time for you to cast your vote. KDOS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. The 2023 LA Chargers. Is it over? Is it under nine and a half wins this season? Bob had a conversation with Elliot Tiford of the Southern California News Group in the nine o'clock hour chatting all things Chargers. If you missed it, podcast it. Under nine and a half wins out in front at 57.1% of the vote over trailing at 42.9 percent in fact if you missed that a lot of that unfortunate well, i knew this was going to happen but a lot of the conversation was about injuries 
and guys that were out last year and whether they're back this year and not everybody is completely back this year. Uh, so if you're into this uh, over-under or anything to do with the Chargers and missed the first hour, you know, podcast would be a wonderful thing for you. Uh, one thing for sure is they certainly need to end the season better. Uh, in uh, 2021, they only needed two wins to reach the postseason over the last four games. They lost three of the last four games, including two of those games in overtime. In the three losses, when they only needed two wins, they allowed 34 or more points in every one of those losses. Last year, the 2022 season ended when they blew a 27-point second-half lead and lost in the wild card round to Jacksonville. This has to be um, a bit of a hot seat year for Brandon Staley, don't you think? I thought that the first year. I mean, I, you know, I thought he should have been gone then. Uh, I thought he should have been gone after last year. He's still there now. Uh, so you know, I'm the wrong guy to ask. <laughs> <laughs> we'll answer that question as well around 1130 today, making room for you at 10, uh, 1030 and 1115, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in, we'll make room for Doug Haller at 1015. Let's get into the Arizona Diamondbacks, though, from last night. The Dodgers now have 24 wins in the month of August. That's the most since the franchise moved to Los Angeles. And the scoring got started for them in the third with a Freddie Freeman 440-foot two-run yeah. home run, followed by Jason Hayward's two-run home run in that exact same inning. Brandon fought. He ended up going four innings, eight hits, six runs, two walks, four strikeouts, and two home runs. And Ryan Pepio. Yeah, my French is coming right along. Five innings, right. <laughs> five innings, two hits, one walk, three strikeouts in the win, and the Diamondbacks found themselves swept by the Dodgers. Mr. Pepio, if he pitches like that, you're going to be mentioning him in the postseason some, I'm pretty sure, because their starting rotation certainly is uh, questionable heading into the uh, in the postseason, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, the last three nights, this is basically collectively an ass-kicking uh, the Dodgers not just sweep the three-game series, they won by a cumulative score of 23-5. to The Diamondbacks scored one run in the final 23 innings of the series. The Dodgers scored 20 of the, uh, you, know, you know, basically scored 20 runs over that same span. Uh, it was just a total mismatch. And after they clobbered uh, you know, Zach Gallon and Earl Kelly, on uh, Monday and Tuesday, uh, I guess it wasn't terribly surprising that Brandon fought had, uh, uh, a similar lack of success, or yeah, I could probably phrase that better. Anyway, it would probably be better. He got clobbered also last night. Yeah, he gave up. He threw 90 pitches to just get through the four innings. That's an astronomical amount. They gave up six runs on eight hits, yeah, two walks, gave up the couple two home runs, and actually – it would have been even worse had it not been for a really uh, excellent catch by Corbin Carroll in the first inning. Uh, so when you're taking a look here at the NL wild card race, you had the uh, Reds beating the Giants yesterday, four to one. Hunter Green went five and a third, three hits, one run, one walk, six strikeouts. Logan Webb, six innings, seven hits, two runs, six strikeouts here. So that means the Giants uh, remain in that final wild card spot with the Diamondbacks sitting a half game back, the Reds one game back, and the Marlins three games back. With the Phillies uh, pretty much doing really well to secure that top wild card spot at 74 and 59 and the Cubs making a charge 71 and 62. 
going to be interesting to see what happens these next few days here. This when they get to the uh, well, actually, uh, you know, the you know, you're going to talk about the Dodgers for a second. Do they actually start a four-game series tonight against the Braves in Los Angeles? I'm looking forward to watching uh, those four games closely. That'll be fun. Uh, but the other teams, you know, the Phillies, they actually now they have today off, and they go to Milwaukee and play the the week a weekend series at Milwaukee. And the Phillies have their best starting pitchers lined up for that series. I don't know if they intentionally did that, not uh, you know, following them on uh, as close of a basis maybe as I should. Not sure if they move guys around in the rotation a little bit, but they've got their you know, top dudes lined up for that series at Milwaukee this weekend. Uh, the Reds and the Cubs play a series that begins uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, so, you know, some of the contending teams that play each other, and you would think, okay, maybe the Diamondbacks can make some hay here. Well, the Diamondbacks, who I mentioned earlier and during the sports zone, uh, they have a really bad record now. They, they had a bad record against teams above 500 before the last three days, and now it's even worse after three more losses. They begin a series on uh, on Friday night at home against the first-place Orioles, even though the Orioles, unfortunately, in the last year, Four or five days have lost a couple of key players to injury, uh, so we'll see how they respond to that. Uh, but you know, when all that's happening, the Giants get to go to you know, they get to play San Diego for four games, and the Padres are now a season most ten games under 500. They completely blew games the last two days at St. Louis, and it's not like the St. Louis Cardinals are any good. Uh, Josh Hader got beat in each of the last two days. So the Padres, and this is kind of a lofty statement, they might have been playing the they might be playing the worst baseball they've been playing all season, which is you know I've been saying for literally weeks and maybe even a couple of months uh, that they're bad, and uh, they've hit a new low here in the last two days, and that's who the Giants go play for four games. Yeah, the Giants are starting that four-game series with the Padres tonight, and you mentioned it. The Dodgers are hosting the Braves for a four-game series. Spencer Strider going for the Braves, 15-4, and 3.46 ERA, 236 strikeouts. And Lance Lynn, 10-9, 5.56 ERA, 170 strikeouts. But I wanted to point out here in the month of August, he's 4-0 and with a 2.03 ERA. Amazing when he gets you know get out of Chicago and go to the Dodgers and uh, I don't think this is just all Dodger magic. I think it's just he's out of Chicago and doesn't have to deal with that ballpark, his team, his teammates, the ownership, the front office, which has now been fired because of the poor management that they've had for many years. Uh, so get the heck out of there and he goes from one of the worst environments in baseball to one of the best. And we'll get into more around Major League Baseball, uh, some more from the National League and, of course, the American League and what's shaping up in the AL West. We'll do that a little bit later on in Hour 1 today. But make sure you're joining the Lombardi Southwest Open on Saturday, September 16th to raise money for cancer prevention, care, and a cure. And if you're not a golfer, you can still join all of the fun with a fun night at Kick Cancer's Tailgate Bash. That's right, Kick Cancer's Tailgate Bash, hosted 
hosted poolside at the Talking Stick uh, Resort. The night will feature music, complimentary food and drinks, raffles, and silent auction, plus so much more. Get your tickets, LombardiFoundation.org slash Lombardi-Southwest-Open. LombardiFoundation.org slash Lombardi-Southwest-Open. That's Saturday, September 16th at Talking Stick Resort. We make room for Doug Haller with the Athletic to chat ASU football. Some Arizona Cardinals coming up next. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. ASU football, it's tonight hosting Southern Utah, 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 networks. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Doug Haller of The Athletics set to join us here now, talking all things ASU, maybe a little bit Arizona Cardinals here as well. Doug, Bob, and Kayla, thanks for the time. How are you today? Good. I'm, I'm excited that uh, I mean, the conversation is finally starting to shift. Uh, <laughs> you know, the offseason has been so long. There's been so much that's happened from realignment to bowl bands that we actually get to go. I get, I'm actually going out to cover a football game tonight, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Well, then I hate to be the one that is going to tone down the excitement for at least just one question here. Uh, talking about that one-year postseason ban self-imposed by ASU for the football program this season. So, uh, you know, what kind of came into the decision and the timing of this of when to impose the ban and how was it perceived by the team and the coaches when the news came out? Yeah, uh, well, it's the timing of it, right? Uh, five days before their opener. That That's tough. And, and you know, when, when this came out, Kayla, everyone was saying, like, you know, Arizona State's not going to make a bowl game. What's the big deal? And I get that. I, I don't think they're going to get to six wins. Um, but when you have a new team and a new coach and you've been preaching, we're going to surprise everybody, you're picked 10th in the, to finish 10th in the Pac-12, and you're going to, you know, that's your big motivational cry. We're going to shock the world. And then to find out, you know, just five days beforehand that you're not going to be able to uh, get the, if you do that, you're not going to get the potential reward. That's tough. Um, you know, and the fact that Kenny Dillingham just found out that morning, uh, <laughs> not good. Um, there have been three, not to go too long, but it seems like there are three theories about why this happened at this time. Uh, one, which is very popular, is that Ray Anderson, the vice president of athletics, wanted to protect his friend, Herm Edwards, last year, uh, didn't want to give a bull ban at that time. I don't. I think they probably could have done the bull ban then. I don't think that's the reason they didn't do the bull ban then. Uh, the second theory is that um, new information was uncovered during the investigation that prompted Arizona State to say, you know what, we need to get out ahead of this and um, go ahead with the bull ban. Uh, from everything that I've known about the investigation is that most of that has been laid out. It's known. Um, I'm not so sure about that. The third one um, is that maybe during they're at the stage where they're negotiating possible penalties and that Arizona State – uh, said, you know what, we need to go ahead and try to make this as easy as possible. Let's go ahead and take the bull ban now instead of a million different recruiting um, reductions or whatever. 
to me, that one makes the most sense. It's not the most popular among the fan base, but that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I agree that that does make the most sense. Okay, so let's look ahead to tonight. Uh, what are you most interested in watching tonight in the opener? Um, well, I think there's a couple things, Bob. Obviously, Jaden Rashada, the quarterback, freshman. What's what's it look like? What's he look like? I mean, I've been I haven't been out to every practice. I've always been to a handful leading up to this, but uh, he can make he he's made some passes that I haven't seen an ASU quarterback make in a while, uh, particularly downfield. Um, has a really, really nice touch, can make every throw that you would want your quarterback to make. But I've also seen him make a lot of really <laughs> freshman decisions. So does he throw for 300 yards and three interceptions? I, that's what I'm most interested to see. The second thing would be is, you know, what does this look like? New coaching staff, uh, first-time coach, young coach. Um, you know, <laughs> Kenny Dillingham has said a couple times this will be his first time on the field since he was coaching at Chaparral. Uh, what does it look like? And also, what does the enthusiasm, because I think there's a lot of enthusiasm behind Kenny and the message that he's brought, what does that look like uh, as compared to the <laughs> just the, the venom that the fan base has for the athletic director and the administration? Those two things are two opposite forces. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you can measure that in crowd size or what, but I do think that's a factor, and I'm really interested to see, you know, how that plays out the entire season. Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. So, you know, Jaden Rashada has all of this upside potential, can make all the throws, push the ball down the field, which certainly opens up the field of play and, you know, what they can uh, potentially accomplish on the offensive side of the ball. But who is he throwing the ball to? Elijah Badger was the team's leading receiver last year. He's back this year. So who else is out there for him as a weapon? Yeah, it's too bad about uh, Elijah Badger because he was really starting to make strides last year, and, and he will continue, but missing the first half, I mean, that's, that's kind of a bummer for him because, to me, he looks like a, a, a kid who has the potential to play at the next level. And, and I will say there aren't many, when you look at this roster, uh, you know, they had zero uh, representation on the all-pack 12 versus second teams uh, as voted on by conference media. And, you know, and I always start every season by looking like how many NFL prospects do they have? Um, it's the answer to that. In my, I'm not a scout, but it doesn't appear to be many. But to answer your question, Kayla, the next would probably would obviously be Jalen Conyers, the tight end, who really came on last toward the end of last year when Trenton Borgay uh, and Sean Aguano kind of you know started to uh, change the offense a little bit after Herm Edwards was fired. So you know Jalen Conyers, former uh, you know Oklahoma player, uh, one of the best tight ends in the country coming out of high school athletic good size can go up and get the ball uh i'm really interested to see how they use him this year and to see if he can you know become just a good tight end or possibly an nfl prospect you mentioned dillingham obviously first time head coach on the sidelines and so forth what should we look for for him either strategically or generally speaking i'm kind of uh i don't even know how to ask the question (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I think you're, you're going to see – I think it's going to be – the fact that they went with Jane Rashada, they're going to stretch the field. That, that they need to stretch the field. Uh, to make everything work, that's, that's what it's going to be, uh, what it has to be. You know, I'm interested to see – he's a passionate dude. <laughs> you know, 
does he keep his emotion? What is he like on the sideline? I can't imagine what yeah. he's like on the sideline. I mean, Todd Graham was at the beginning when he was here was intense uh, in coaches' faces, in players' faces, uh, just not afraid, just to let loose and, and show his anger. Uh, Herm Edwards, complete opposite, <laughs> complete opposite. You wouldn't even know that Herm was on the sideline of a college football game. You know, always under control, never showing any emotion. Um, you know, just giving a, a look that nothing what happens here is going to be unexpected on my watch. Where does Kenny fit in? I have no idea because he's so passionate. Um, you know, is he fire? Is he running down the sideline after a big play as he often does in practice? I mean, he's right in the middle of everything at practice. Uh, what's that going to look like during a game on the sideline? I have no idea. I'm really interested to see that. Speaking of Kenny Dillingham, he did have a couple of dismissals from the program, and I, I can't really think of a better word other than culture, but is he making that impact right away to change the culture and kind of demand accountability? He is, and I think that's fairly common uh, when you're for, for a first-year coach when you're coming in. You have to set you know, what you'll tolerate, the line between what you'll tolerate and what you will not. And you know, for him to do that, I think it, it shows that, hey, look, we're, <laughs> this is where we're starting. This is, this is what we're not going to tolerate. And it's interesting, and I'm switching gears a little bit, you know, Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals are doing the same thing. So it's, it's something I think first-year coaches need to do. It's important. It's, you know, culture is a little bit um, overused in sports, but I do think that it's important uh, for first-year coaches to kind of set that tone like, okay, here's what we expect. Here's the standard we expect. We're going to – at some point, we're going to let our leadership council or players kind of lead this. But this is what we go by. This is what we expect. And I think he, he by doing that, he set a tone early. I, I might be the wrong person to base this upon, but I've heard almost zero buzz regarding ASU, uh, at least until the Sunday bowl game announcement. Uh, you're a far better judge of this than I. Is there buzz for ASU football in 2023? No, no, there's not. Um, you know, it, any buzz has been associated with the bowl ban and the uh, NCAA investigation, even though we're two years into it. I mean, everything, anything, anything something happens, it, you know, it, all that stuff resurfaces. I mean, even with the bowl ban, Bob, you know, I had to, with catch, I had to actually go back and look, you know, just to double check details because it's been so long ago. But, you know, as far as, and a lot of it is just college football today. When you have so much turnover in rosters, um, you know, ASU, ASU has, I think, 50 newcoming, uh, newcomers as far as scholarship newcomers. It's hard to know what to expect. That's why you don't know. I think the media polls, rankings, all that lose a little bit of significance outside of the top 15 teams because there's so much turnover. You don't know what. You don't know how it's going to yeah. translate. You don't know how a receiver uh, from a small school is going to fare at a Pac-12. So I think that's part of it. Um, but, yeah, no buzz. Um, no one's expecting much for them from Arizona State this year. That's why they're in a good position to, um, you know, I don't know if, it, if it's the motivation of proving people wrong is real or how long it lasts, but it, it's there for them. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what it means. But, um, you know, it, just on paper, I think going from one coaching staff to another, everything bottoming out, I think it's going to be a rough year for them. But 
but who knows? We'll have to wait and see uh, what they look like. Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. So it's Southern Utah here tonight on Thursday. Then the rest of the non-conference schedule, you know, Oklahoma State may be taking a little bit of a step back, but still uh, historically, uh, you know, a pretty decent program. Fresno State also is on the schedule in non-conference. Then they're hosting USC. They're at Cal, hosting Colorado. Who knows what's going to happen there with Deion Sanders at UW, hosting WSU at Utah, at UW. UCLA versus Oregon and hosting U of A to round out the schedule. So with all of that kind of in mind about the varying different home and away and opponents that they have this year, what is realistic for this year's Sun Devil squad? <laughs> well, they have eight home games, right? Uh, so that is a huge advantage. And uh, I think what five of those home games come before the second week of October when there's a good chance that they're going to be kicking off when the temperature is what high 90s. Um, mm-hmm. That's an advantage for, for an Arizona State team that practices, you know, in triple-digit temperatures. Does that mean a lot? I don't know. I've done stories on that in the past where opponents have said, yes, the, the heat is real. Um, that is a factor. You know, it comes down to there are a few key games, I think. Um, Fresno State in week three I think is huge. Uh, can they find a way to win that one? At Cal, I, Cal is one of those schools that I'm like, I I think they're probably going to be a little bit better than what people think, but I don't know. I think that's a huge swing game. Washington State at the end of October is a huge swing game. So I think you could, like, separate. Like, okay, they should beat Southern Utah. Can they beat Fresno State? Okay, that's two wins. Colorado, who knows? So you could see them getting into, like, that three- or four-win range, and then there's, like, three games that could go either way. Like, no one knows what to make of UCLA. But keep in mind, you know, people say, like, well, UCLA has a quarterback. Yeah, but Chip Kelly's well into his his run there. Kenny Dillingham, his staff are in year one, so there's a huge difference there in programs. So, you know, I would kind of put the, you know, maybe I I would say maybe five wins would be the over under. um, You know, if you feel like they're going to get one of those games that I mentioned, those swing games, then maybe they could get maybe they could get to six. I think I would go a little bit below that though. All right, the Cardinals. Uh, maybe I was foolishly surprised that they kicked Colt McCoy uh, to the curb uh, on uh, on Monday after he got the, most of the first team reps, uh, from what I hear, during the offseason, certainly some in training camp, the first couple of preseason games, even some first team reps last week in the joint practices of Minnesota. Were you surprised that McCoy is now not longer part of the Cardinals? Uh, I was not until when they t- traded for um, Josh Dobbs was the first time I thought that, okay, Cole has a decent chance of getting released. That was surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's Colt McCoy. <laughs> um, had, a, had a great career as a backup. He's not a starting uh, quarterback at this level. There's a new coaching staff. There's a new offense coordinator. Uh, Colt has had some elbow issues recently. So when you look at all that, no, it's it's not a surprise. But the fact that now the quarterback competition comes from uh, Clayton Toon, a rookie, a fifth-round draft pick, and then you have Josh Dobbs, who's been in the league for a while uh, but only played in eight games, started two of them. Uh, he lost both of those. That's <laughs> that you, you kind of think, like, okay, would they have been better off with Colt? Uh I, I don't know. Evidently, they didn't think so. But man, it's a tough t- situation to be in. Um, you know, new first-time head coach, first-time play caller, youngest defensive coordinator in the NFL. 
and now you're going to go with a starter that really doesn't have a starting quarterback that really doesn't have any starting experience in the NFL. That usually doesn't bode well, um, and it usually can look it, it often can look pretty ugly. So I think the storyline shifts to okay, when will Kyler Murray get back? Uh, now we know it's not going to be within the first four games, uh, and then he'll be able to start practicing. But is it week six? Is it week seven? Is it midseason? You know, <laughs> what, what's that going to look like when he does get back, and, and how how much can they survive? Uh, you know, these first five or six games that he won't be on the field. What is your perception so far of Jonathan Gannon, first year head coach, uh, Monty Austin for first year general manager, and how they've been working things with this roster? Obviously, you know, the moves and decisions ahead of the draft were to kind of tear things down and, and rebuild. So, along those lines and through this training camp process, how do you view how things have unfolded? Well, I think Monty Austin for and this is a popular opinion, has been a home run hire. Uh, he was, in my opinion, um, one of the breakout stars of the 2023 draft with how he uh, not only picked up a great offensive lineman with their first pick, uh, but also kind of positioned them for big things next year. Um, he's made some, some interesting moves. You know, I would have thought that Isaiah Simmons, uh, maybe you could have gotten more for, than a, you know, maybe you couldn't have a seventh round draft pick. Uh, but they've made it clear that if you don't fit the system, if you don't uh, go along with their vision or what they're trying to do, you're, you're not going to be here. Um, that's important. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I think he's done a good job of, you know, just like Kenny Dillingham, setting that culture. I mean, it was really interesting to hear the Cardinals talk about the first week of training camp that if you're, Late to a meeting, you'll get fined. I mean, I always thought that was basic NFL you know, procedure. Maybe not. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you could. he got their attention. That was clear the first week. But, you know, until you get out there and the games count, I, you know, I think it's impossible to say uh, or really to have a strong opinion on Jonathan Gannon because at this point, you know, he, we just have three preseason, meaningless preseason games to judge him for. So um, we'll see. Um but, yeah, the first step as far as just making, setting the culture, making guys accountable, I think he's done that pretty well. Okay, last step for me. Uh, Doug, at one point, maybe you've already started preparing for this, or are you going to write your first Caleb Williams, uh, is he interested in the Cardinals story? <laughs> that is so funny. Last week I went out to lunch with another Cardinals writer, and uh, we were talking. This is before they traded for Josh Dobbs. And we, were, we were actually had this conversation, like, how soon will it be in this season when, before we start writing Kayla Williams stories? And then on Monday, for the, after the press conference, when Josh Dobbs was in, Cole McCoy was out, we started laughing because, like, that day is here. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> I, I, so it was like three days later. Yes, that, that, that answers that question. Um, no, I don't think the Cardinals are, you know, officially tanking. I don't think that's part of their – but, you know, I do understand fans that say it sure looks that way. And I think if you look at their roster, um, they, you can't help but conclude, okay, like this might be the worst team in the NFL this season. And you have a quarterback that some people think, you know, he's drawn comparisons to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think that's a little bit unfair, but his talent is off the charts. So I think that's going to be a storyline all year. And uh, – you know, that's why Kyler's return is just so interesting. You know, when he comes back, how good does he have to be to kind of change, like show the Cardinals, 
I'm, I'm your guy. I'm, you made a commitment to me. I'm your guy. And, you know, until then, the Cardinals, Jonathan Gannon, and Mike Alcorn are going to stand behind um, Kyler Murray, say he's our guy. But, um, you know, that won't, we, won't know, we won't truly know the answer to that until the draft. Doug, this has always been fantastic here. Appreciate all your knowledge and have fun tonight uh, watching a game that counts. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Once again, he is Doug Haller there with The Athletic. And uh, as we're referencing there, ASU football gets their season started. The Kenny Dillingham era uh, with Southern Utah in town, 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. And then in addition to that, a little bit of Arizona Cardinals discussion. And, of course, the different philosophies that you hear from local versus national media as to what this all means for the future of uh, Kyler Murray And uh, Jonathan Gannon was kind of asked a few questions in yesterday's press conference about the future of Kyler Murray and his status and how he's progressing in terms of when he's going to be ready to come back. We know he has to stay out for at least four games as he's starting the season on the pup list. We'll dive into a few of those comments uh, in hour number two today. But it's your turn if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060. 602-260-1060. Give us a call now. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break it is the extra point on this thursday august 31st catch the doug gottlieb show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m right here on kdus am 1060 and online at kdus 1060.com Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Thanks to Doug Howler with The Athletic. We dove into ASU football. They get their season started tonight. Again, Southern Utah, the Kenny Dillingham era. Also some Arizona Cardinals talk as well. If you missed the conversation, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app. But as promised here it is phone call time 602-260-1060 is the number so let's pop on out to the kdus hotline and it's monroe and glendale what's on your mind today monroe i really like doug heller he's really good and i think one of the reasons why i think he's really good is that he just gave us a mm-hmm. master class in how to describe tanking in a diplomatic way <laughs> yeah i agree also, in addition, Doug's a really good dude. So, you know, he's an excellent writer. He's been covering them since uh, the early part of this century. And uh, and he's, he's a tremendous guest, and we're always happy to have him. Yeah, he's got good stuff. I like, I like mo- most of your guests, if not all of them, because they make me think, even if I don't agree with them, they cause me to think. And I'm thinking that, uh, yeah, the, the, the roster is so bad what value Colt McCoy would bring, would it really make a difference? Except for then they turned around and signed Buda Baker. It's like, really? Yeah, I kind of wonder, you know, I mentioned this uh, you know, on Tuesday, I wonder if you're like Buda Baker, DJ Humphreys, uh, Jalen yeah, Thompson, yeah. and I'm pretty much running out of you know, really established players, quite frankly, on this roster after that, but if you're those three guys or, you know, White, uh, Kaiser White, who's now the, you know, certainly came from the Eagles, I wonder if uh, he's wondering, did I make the wrong decision here? 
but you know, I can't you know, I can't imagine that the veterans who are really good players, which I think we're kind of down to like four guys that are really good players. James Conner, I should throw him in there too. And I, if I leave anybody out, my apologies. But the established NFL players who have had some success, either individually or team-wise, I can't imagine they're really thrilled about what's going on here. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And uh, I just, we already said, or at least you helped us to understand, the roster overall up and down is not a good roster. So if you're really going to make this kind of move, why don't you really make this kind of move and let those guys move on and see what else they can find. And if they can't or if they just like it here and they want to stay, then that's a whole different matter. Uh, uh, let, let me add. Let me add. Let me add one other quick thing. And Kayla, you want to add to this? You certainly. Uh, sorry, I'm kind of you know, dominating the the answers here. But yeah, you know, they added six guys via the waiver wire yesterday, and I didn't go through, and I'm not going to go through every team. I can't imagine there's a team in the NFL that added six guys in the waiver wire yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I think there's probably about. I think I can come up with five teams as I listen to your. Your your target charger guy, it's probably about five teams where I think the fan base is kind of like saying we really need you to show some move in the in the right direction and not expect us to be okay with good. Um, mm-hmm. And I I would put the charges in that category. Uh, I, I overheard, um, I think it was Booger McFarlane. Anyway, they were talking about whether Kenny Pickett was, was any good, and Booger was talking about star quarterbacks, and he said that the, we have stars. We have to understand who the stars are, and he rattled off all these names. And in that name was Herbert, and I immediately thought about Bob. I thought. Yeah. Oh, uh we need players or the teams need players like Herbert to really do what they are supposed to do to move to the next level. And we just got to get off of these, this position of we're a good team, we're moving. We need to see, we need to see forward movement. Uh, and if we don't, it's time for some significant change. And I would say that is the Chargers. I'd put Buffalo in that category. Of course, I put my own team in that category. And I would put um, maybe Miami in that category. These are teams that we are not going to be happy with regular season success. We need to see you make impact at the next level. There may be others, but that's, that's just my thought. And the Steelers being your team, for people yeah. that for some yeah. mysterious reason don't know that. <laughs> Yes, yes, I would. I would say that's the case. They, these teams, it, they can't be employers who want the employees who want employees to be happy that they come to work on time. It, it, it's time to move to the next level. Are you kind of insinuating that this has something to do with quarterback play? Is it the overall roster? Is it a coaching change, or is it kind of different for each particular team you, you listed off there? It's different for each team, but they all 
it's time for them to move to the next level, whatever the next level is for them. So in the case of the Chargers, they 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 don't need to have a good regular season record. They need to get to the playoffs, and they need to win a playoff game. In the case of the Steelers, they need to not lose to teams that you, they are not supposed to lose to a flame out in the wild card game. In the case of Buffalo, they need to get beyond we can make it to the conference finals. These are teams that they need to go to the next level. They cannot continue as they are. They got to do something to get to the next level. For your team, the Steelers, uh, what is that next level? Obviously, Mike Tomlin, he doesn't uh, he doesn't lose games. They always finish at least 500. So is it make the playoffs? Is it get past the uh, first round of the playoffs? What's realistic this year for you? Well, I can see seven losses for sure, which means if they don't lose games they shouldn't lose, that's 10 wins. Uh, but in my mind, I don't really care about regular season victories. That's that's expected at this point. What I'd like to see them do is compete, get past the first, get past the wild card round, and in general be a strong competitor toward the conference championship game. Whether they get there is another question, but but this this losing to teams you should be this flaming out in the wild card round, this has got to stop for me. And I think that uh, that that is that's my position with my team. I just think there are several other teams where the fan base, the expectations are you got to do the next level. You can't stay where you are today. And one final thing here, Monroe. I heard this the other day that uh, someone was making the argument that Bill Cowher underachieved. What do you think? Um, I think people who make that argument, frankly, are Mike Tomlin fans. <laughs> that's what I think. Um, Bill Cowell had some serious quarterback issues after Terry Bradshaw. Uh, and until I believe it was the kid from UCLA that went to that crazy league that came over. I cannot think of his name. But then I can't either. It's driving me nuts. Then <laughs> ultimately replaced him. But they went from Terry Bradshaw to Cliff Stout to Chuck Long, to Bobby Brister, Cornell, Cornell Stewart. They had some real instability at the quarterback issue when they had decent defenses and pretty good, pretty good uh, skilled players. But it was the quarterback position that was weak for them. And so, to me, as everybody says, you can't, you got to have, you got to have a good quarterback, even if it's. Uh, Trent Dilford, they can't cost you games. They can't make it difficult for the other phases of the team, other phases of the game's success to have impact. So I don't believe that Bill Cowell was uh, was uh, an underachiever, but maybe there's my own bias coming out, but Mike, Mike Tumlin, in my mind, is an underachiever. Every team that they've had where they were supposed to lose, and they managed to pull it out and have a winning record, and they really fought and they really endured, is a testimony against all those good teams that went to the playoffs and played out in the wild card round. Thanks, Monroe, for the great conversation. As always, I think you were thinking about Tommy Maddox there. Uh... Oh, God, that's him. <laughs>
Yes, I didn't even like him in college. <laughs> All right, well, we'll wrap up hour number one on the other side of the break, and we'll take some more phone calls here as well today around 1115-602-260-1060 is the number. College football gets underway today. Week one is officially here. Plenty to get into here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Wrapping up hour number one on this Thursday, August 31st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Continuing on with some Major League Baseball conversation here, I want to flip this over to uh, the race in the AL East and the American League in general. So you had yesterday the White Sox beating the Orioles 10 to 5. Then you had the Rays beating the Marlins 3 nothing in 10 innings. The Orioles now hold a one and a half game lead on the Rays in the AL East. Yeah, they come into town here on Friday night, play the Diamondbacks for three games the Orioles do. Uh, obviously, they lost Felix Batista likely for the season with the uh, with the elbow situation. Uh, I thought he should have been, uh, at least at the time of the injury, the uh, American League Cy Young Award winner. Uh, he's been spectacular so far this year. We'll see how they figure out how to close games from here on out. I assume Cano is going to get that opportunity. Uh, Cano was tremendous early in the season, but like Batista, he has been really overused. Uh, in my opinion, even though I understood at the time why he was overused, because I don't think I expect, anybody expected the Orioles to be this good. I'm guessing the Orioles didn't expect them to be this good. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. And also, they've had a couple of position players that have been hobbled here in recent days, and I'm not sure what their status would be for the weekend against the Diamondbacks. The big news, uh, obviously, uh, you, you know, not unexpected. Uh, but Wander Franco, if anybody thought he was coming back at any point this season for the Rays, arguably the best shortstop in the in the American League so far this season. He's got even more legal issues with underage girls in uh, the Dominican Republic. And uh, there seems to be, I didn't think there was any chance he was coming back this season anyway. Now there seems to be less than zero chance that's going to happen. Uh, as for the Astros, they beat the Red Sox yesterday 7-4 to for a sweep at Fenway Park. The Mariners beat the A's 5-4, to and the Mets beat the Rangers 6-5 to in 10 innings. So that means the Mariners now are atop in the American League West. And then you have the Astros at 77-58 uh, and, and the Rangers at 75-58. and So that American League West battle certainly heating up as well. This concludes Hour 1, Hour 2 of the Extra Point on the other side of the break.